1: Yes, it is. And welcome back, Friday, March 25th, 2022. In closing the week, I should like to return to the takeaway quote of the week from one judge, Ketanji Brown Jackson, that she cannot define what a woman is because she is not a biologist. It should be interesting, of course, to know how many clerks of hers are biologists, because no doubt she deals with cases involving women's claims from discrimination to assault all the time. And it matters in those cases what gender the victim or the plaintiff actually is. But that is not the important or, if you will, pregnant meaning to her answer. Her answer comes to us as part of the culture comp, the culture wars our courts are engaging in and have been engaging in since about the end of the 1940s. The war is now taking place in our schools and it is taking place over issues of race and gender. That is what Leah Thomas is about, a college student. That is what the Virginia school board uprising was about, elementary schools. That is what Florida is about. That is what the COVID fights were about, masking and vaccinating young children for a disease that will affect them less than drowning. But will have far greater iatrogenic consequences than building a fence around a pool or hiring a lifeguard. Consequences that will affect the brains and emotions, the mental health of our children for a long time to come. Yes, we have come to the point where it is the children who are being asked to change or improve the world. And yes, per what Hannah Arendt wrote, we do intend to have our political battles fought out in not just the courtrooms of our country but the schoolyards of our country. All of this, she wrote in the 1950s, were the perfect consequences of what she called Progressive education. It almost seems now that the only places adult political arguments do not take place is in political forums. Those fora are now schools. The audience is now children. So, are we going to join this war politically, culturally? Josh Hammer is who I yield to here. He writes, whatever disagreements presently exist within the fold when it comes to foreign policy, most Republican voters are on the same page when it comes to their view of how the party should confront the left's destructive cultural agenda. At a time when the militant left seeks to let biological men run roughshod over the very notion of femininity and to indoctrinate the younger generation in the civilizational arson that is critical race theory – Republican voters want their party to dive headfirst into the so-called culture war issues. It is past time for Republican leaders to ditch their misplaced fixation on their dog-eared cocktail party friendly supply side economic playbook and to prudentially shift to a cultural culture war centric footing. Consider the current battle in Florida over the sober and measured parental rights and education bill that has nonetheless been disparaged by a supine corporate press as a don't-say-gay bill. The relevant provision inducing the ginned-up controversy, which as of this writing has been passed by the legislature and awaits Governor DeSantis's signature, reads this, quote, Classroom instruction by school personnel or third parties on sexual orientation or gender identity may not occur in kindergarten through grade three, or in a manner that is not age-appropriate or developmentally appropriate for students in accordance with state standards, close quote. Translation, don't teach five- and six-year-olds who are learning how to read and count to ten about sex. We have a word for the kind of person who gets hot and bothered about the overarching imperative to teach kindergartners and first graders about the birds and the bees. That word is pervert. Furthermore, to outsource those sorts of sensitive conversations to public school bureaucrats away from the comforting confines of one's own home amounts to a reckless abdication of one's parental duties. But the all too predictable, ubiquitous reaction was to lambast Ron DeSantis and his fellow Florida Republicans for their homophobia, transphobia, fascism or whatever phobia or ism the blue checked woke karate now deem vogue. The Walt Disney Company, which is headquartered in California but has a famed Florida presence, also has had a meltdown. CEO Bob Chapek noted his opposition to the bill in Florida and announced that in the aftermath of Disney's failure to successfully lobby against its passage, it would suspend all political donations to candidates in Florida. Over the past few days, Disney employees have staged walkouts, so too at ESPN. The mind truly reels at how passionate some folks seem to be about teaching five-year-olds about sex. Amidst this intense backlash, DeSantis, who has repeatedly demonstrated his understanding of the threat woke capital poses to the American way of life, has remained defiant. He said, quote, you have companies like Disney that are going to say and criticize parents' rights. They're going to criticize the fact that we don't want transgenderism in kindergarten, in the first-grade classrooms. But first graders shouldn't have woke gender ideology imposed in their curriculum. That's all we're saying. DeSantis concluded, and so in Florida, our policy's got to be based on the best interest of Florida citizens, not on the musings of woke corporations. Fever pitch level media and corporate hysterics aside, Florida Republicans' stance is popular. A recent Politico morning consult poll showed that Americans support DeSantis' stand by a 16-point margin. Interestingly, that was despite the Politico consult pollsters' inclusion of the meaning, excuse me, of the misleading don't-say-gay-smear in their phrasing of the question. A recent Daily Wire poll on the same question showed Americans in support of the Florida law by a massive 44 percent margin. By now, this sort of result ought to be unsurprising. Virginia Republicans swept statewide races in November by embracing the critical race theory issue. CRT, just like gender ideology, offers Republicans the opportunity to support parental rights and cultural sanity against woke overreach and cultural insanity. Republicans should stop dithering and bring the fight to the core civilizational issues now confronting a confused citizenry. America was not conceived in irredeemable racism, and it is not systematically racist today. Biological sex still matters. Parents must control their own children's upbringing. Not only are these common sense propositions, but they are very popular ones, and embracing them points the way toward a Republican national majority. The allergy to engaging culture wars requires an immediate antihistamine, if we're going to go back to our regular business of normalcy. This is not unrecognized by vast swaths of the American electorate. You think of the Republicans the media has attacked and slandered the most. They are the same ones that seem to be most popular with the elite, with what the elite consider to be the vulgar crowd. Think about it. Ronald Reagan, Donald Trump, Ron DeSantis. In their own ways, they each understood the culture as well or better than anyone else. And thus the threats coming from it and the need to take it on. In Reagan's day, it was the notion of good and evil, race and abortion, for example. And he picked off a lot of Democrats for, yes, going to those issues, going there. The going there now means our schools and our children and what they are being used to fight for. The disruption of the Western notion of family and the erasure of truth and history and nature, all while summoning up abstruse theories incomprehensible to anyone but an expert to establish the correctness of their positions and to staunch opposition, as it comes from the unlearned, the unwashed, the amateurs, the non experts, the non-biologists, if you will. What could we possibly know? Neil Postman, in his book, The Disappearance of Childhood, puts a depression about what is being done to our children this way, quote, "...to have to stand and wait as the charm, malleability, innocence, and curiosity of children are degraded and then transmogrified into the lesser features of pseudo-adulthood is painful and embarrassing and, above all, sad." But I have consoled myself, he writes, with this thought. If one cannot say anything about how we may prevent a social disaster, perhaps one may also serve by trying to understand why it is occurring, Close quote. Yes, that is the point. Why is it occurring? I think Hannah Arendt got to some of it as quoted above, but I also think the hobgoblins are easy to spot where the energy, the impetus and catalysts originated. I've spoken of Karl Marx's theories about changing history and changing nature and vanishing his word vanishing the Western family. I have a hard time thinking of a vision of Marx's that was implemented as the governing theory of any community or country by election and not by revolution or pooch or some other anti-democratic mean. Offered as a theory of life and governance in the light of day to enlightened masses of people – Marxism is turned down. The offer is turned down time and again. So it exists in academies here, elementary through post-secondary, and in our unelected elite institutions, from museums to athletic associations, professional and amateur. Few ever actually choose it. But that is what is taking root here. And it's not hard to see for those willing to see things as they truly are. Why are the scholars foisted on us on everything from race to gender, from everywhere, from the Smithsonian to school curricula, experts in education schools and law schools? Why are all those scholars proud and honest about their Marxism? Why are they Marxists? The answer is pretty easy. There is always a tug, a societal pull toward evil and destruction. Rep Butler put it in Gone with the Wind that what too many people forget is that it's just as easy to make money building up society – as it is in taking a society down. This isn't about money, of course, our culture wars, our culture comp. It's about everything else Marxists care about, from family to governance to what it means to be human, what it means to be male, what it means to be female. The question is not, then, why are there Marxists? As Whitaker Chambers reminds, it's really man's second oldest faith that we shall be as gods. The question is, why do we tolerate it, or at a minimum, not take it on hammer and tongs. The result of us not doing so will yield hammers and sickles coming after us. I'm Seth Leipsin, six zero two five zero eight zero nine six zero. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth and Show, portions of which are brought to you by Balance of Nature, balanceofnature.com. Their fruits and veggies are what I take every single day, and in doing so, I get a blend of 16 whole fruits and a blend of 15 whole veggies. Pure, potent plant power, 100% whole food, gluten-free, non-GMO, no extracts or synthetics, and we're talking about the good stuff, the stuff you probably wished you could eat every day if you had the time or thought, or energy. We're talking papayas and bananas and apples and strawberries. We're talking aloe vera, wild blueberries. We're talking grapefruit. We're talking tart cherries. We're talking sweet cherries and more. That's just the fruits. Check out Balance of Nature's fruit and veggies. Boost your immunity, maintain your health, protect your health the natural way. I've been doing it for three years, and it's been keeping me well for three years. Balanceofnature.com. Make sure to use Discount code balance balance nature dot com discount code balance well, a lot of us were unsure whether Joe Biden would make the trip to Europe or whether he would send Kamala Harris again as uh, representing the United States of America. The problem with sending Kamala Harris is twofold: one she's not the head of state. two, every time she speaks, there's a cleanup necessary on aisle six, or if not a cleanup on aisle six, a clip of Jack Handy thoughts and quotes we can take with us to contemplate the meaning of our lives and the span and space of time and the things we see and don't see. So Joe Biden did go. The problem with Joe Biden going reduces it to not two, but one. It's True, he is the head of state, so we don't have to deal with that embarrassment that we can't set our head of, send our head of state. But we have to deal with the embarrassment that um, this is an addled man at best, an addled man at best who says things that require not just clean up on aisle six, but clean up on aisle six, seven, eight, and nine, and a mad rush to get people at the cash registers and security guards at the doors. Here is. Uh, Here is what he said in Poland today uh, visiting uh, our troops. Now, remember, this is the president of the United States who has told Americans and the world we will not be sending forces. We will not be sending troops in Ukraine to fight Russia. He has made that clear before Russia went in. He's made it clear since. And then, of course, we get what he said to the troops Today, this was said without a teleprompter. Maybe that's the problem of him speaking extemporaneously. But here's your commander-in-chief.
0: Citizen, look at how they're stepping up. Look at how they're stepping up. And you're going to see when you're there. Some of you have been there. You're going to see. You're going to see women, young people, standing, standing in the middle of the front of a damn tank, just saying, I'm not leaving. I'm holding my ground. They're incredible. Also the
1: ab- Why would he say, and you're going to see them when you're there, and you're going to see them when you're there, and you, some, some of you have been there? Is he telling them something false, or is he telling us something false? The problem is that quote is not just confined to listeners of this audience. And the people he was speaking to, it was broadcast to the entire world. I don't know what hope or false hope it may have given the leadership of Ukraine or the Ukrainians fighting for their country. I don't know what it signaled to Vladimir Putin. I don't know what it signaled to military families. But when he says you're going to see when you're there and some of you have been there, you've got several problems. One is we're sending you there. The other is an admission that some of them have already been there covertly. Now, it's entirely possible none of this is true. It's entirely possible he is just speaking from the base of knowledge that can be best defined as the first thing that pops into his head and trips off his tongue. It's possible none of what he said is what he meant. It's possible It's perhaps even more likely than not that troops are not going there. I don't know if it's more possible than not that they haven't been there. That's a different animal. But when Joe Biden and the Democratic Party apparatus in the media continually cover for him, saying this man is not in fact addled, this man is at the top of his game. What did Nancy Pelosi say yesterday? He's the perfect president at the perfect time. When they keep reassuring that everything he does and says is deliberate, with full cognizance and full awareness, what are you to deduce if you're Vladimir Putin or the Ukrainians or any of our allies or any of our opponents? What are you to deduce? I don't want to make too big a deal of it because it's likely that he misspoke. It's likely. But these are the wages of misspeaking. These are the problems of not telling the truth. It comes on – not telling the truth whether you know it or not. I don't know whether he knows it or not. That's another question. Does he think troops are going? Does he think troops have been there? That's an entirely other set of questions. Let's not even begin to open that door. But look at what – do you remember Barack Obama and his apology tour in his first uh, first uh, months in office? He went around the country. I think it was first Turkey. Uh, Turkey was his first spot and then Saudi Arabia if I'm not mistaken. Do you remember his apology tour talking – about all the evils and crimes America had committed in the past and how it stops with him. You know, great work, criti- criticizing your country while abroad. This is what Joe Biden did yesterday when he, was in, when he was in Brussels yesterday. Recall he went through the whole mantra, the one he does have memorized because it sounds the exact same way every time he says it. He brought up Charlottesville. And how Donald Trump praised white supremacists, what that has to do with why he's in Brussels in the first place, I have no idea. And then he brought up January 6th and said cops were killed that day. He is repeating lies on the world stage, which is bad enough when he repeats them here. But you know what the wages of those lies are? They serve to diminish and denigrate this country, America, in the eyes of our enemies, maybe in the eyes of our allies. And it's all the more so worse. You know why? none of it is true. None of it is true. It's as almost as if we have some kind of highly unorthodox renegade speaking on behalf of the United States while condemning it in a war zone while abroad. This is a pretty toxic confluence and serious parade of horribles we have been dealt. I'm Seth, 602-5080-960. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, six zero two five zero eight zero nine six zero. Alexandra's in Peoria. Hello, Alexandra. Happy Friday.
2: Hi, uh, Seth. Happy Friday to you too, sir. Thank you very much for taking my call.
1: Of course. Thanks for ringing us.
2: Uh, sir, I have a question. It might be silly. Uh, I don't know how you might think of it, but uh, I wanted to ask you, uh, isn't it impeachable for a president to lie? Yes, all presidents have lied in the past, but uh, you know not as much as Biden. I mean, all 99.9 percent of his uh, election is based on lies, and I'm you know I'm sick and tired of it. Honestly, I, I personally am sick and tired of it. And uh, you know, I know the Republican Party has said that they are planning on uh, you know filing like impeachable offenses or whatever they want to do. I don't know, I but. You know, I honestly have never seen any Republican, and I have put my foot down. I have called, uh, Josh Hawley. I have left messages and, uh, for everyone, honestly, in the Republican conservative party, uh, to make sure that, uh, this is gonna be put, to put their, you know, their foot where their mouth is and to actually do something about this, uh, this, this person in office who is, uh, you know de- degrading us i should be apologizing to the rest of the world uh, for having such a president and that's us you know me
1: thank you alexandra um there's a lot to your question um whether lying is an impeachable offense and in a weird way it's far more impeachable if you're lying under uh you know under sworn penalty of perjury or before a body where you swear uh, to tell the truth in a legal proceeding, right? That, that tends to be in, in light of history, in light of uh, Nixon and Clinton, uh, the much more likely way to get to the impeachable offense of a high crime or misdemeanor um, if you are a president of the United States. Lying to the American people, interestingly enough, seems to be much less impeachable, doesn't it? Lying to your constituency in the world seems to be less impeachable than lying to a legal body, right? Why is that, um, Alexandra? Well, you kind of put your finger on it in your own in your own rendering of the question, which is that you know sometimes a president may have to lie, particularly in the realm of a war or national security. Uh, and that sort of thing, perhaps even in the realm of negotiating a treaty, sometimes, sometimes. In other words, as John Hinderocker likes to put it, the American people have a right not to know certain things. Classified intelligence, uh, maybe if classified intelligence is leaked, you might, uh, you might try and lie about it to protect allies, to protect, a, to protect troops, to protect uh, an effort. A military uh, or other diplomatic effort. So we haven't generally looked at impeachment as lying to the American people, though it's ironic that it is impeachable, theoretically impeachable, if you do it before a legal body. Um, that having been said, two more things need to be said. One is impeachment has been so watered down, so vitiated, so defined down that who would have thought a diplomatic call with the hero of the moment, Vladimir Vladimir Zelensky, who would have thought a diplomatic call offering him war and military uh, materiel would be the subject of impeachment when all the president did was not lie but ask him for any information he had when it came to uncovering corruption. Information that the president of Ukraine would have access to that we might not have access to because the corruption took place in Ukraine. Please recall the Hunter Biden business dealings that may have flown up to other parts of the party or his father were about business that was very suspicious and taking place in Ukraine after all. Who would have thought that would have been impeachable? So it's been watered down and vitiated beyond all recognition uh alexandra and in a sense i kind of think it's a good thing i have to tell you i think impeachment should be used for high crimes and misdemeanors that set a pretty high bar i think you know engaging in perjury certainly would be anything criminal that would affect us we non-elected leaders i think that would be well within the purview of high crimes and misdemeanors um, vi- violation, strong and serious, and uh, unrepentant violations of the Constitution or constitutional dictates and authorities should be impeachable. But other than that, the mechanism that the founders gave us, the mechanism the founders gave us, was an election, was the right to vote in an election, and I'm afraid that's what we're stuck with right now. The left gave us Joe Biden. America's going to have to learn to punish them at the ballot box. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, brought to you live from the Guns Etc. Studios. Rick is in Phoenix. Hello, Rick.
3: Hello there, Seth, my friend. How are you? I'm doing great. It's Friday. (laughs) How are you?
1: I'm doing just fine. Thanks.
3: Well, glad to hear that. You You are doing fine. You have had a terrific show today, in my estimation. And uh, I just wanted to give you a quick call. Uh, with a little take uh, from from what I'm thinking, uh, you know, listening to you over the years, you have uh, have talked about the crisis industrial complex. Yes, and uh, I believe that President Biden's fumbling and bumbling plays right into that crisis industrial complex. Mm-hmm. The purpose of the uh, crisis industrial complex being to keep things so fuddled and mixed up and messed up that it makes it easy to do some otherwise unthinkable things. As Rahm Emanuel said, you know, never let a good crisis go to waste. And uh, one of the things that I have observed going a long ways back in the Democratic Party is that lying seems to be a way of life. Yeah. And when you stop and think about it, when you reject God, as they openly tried to do in at least a couple of their conventions, and I... Thankfully, I guess, they were unsuccessful in doing it. Uh, when you get rid of God, you have no basis for telling the truth. And, of course, that's why uh, my truth has become so popular, because there is no absolute truth anymore. Uh, there's no you know, truth on which we can all depend or stand on. There's no foundation of truth and so it's just it's my truth or your truth or whatever and the democrats have run with that i remember way back who was the uh senator from uh nevada i think or from utah the uh what was his name that what did he do uh, he flat out lied about mitt romney oh harry Reid of nevada him. yeah harry, harry Reid. yeah mm-hmm. harry Reid. that guy
1: he said it worked didn't it that yeah, was his response yeah that was his
3: So did you ever have –
1: you you launched that allegation against Mitt Romney without any evidence, and he said it worked, didn't it?
3: Yeah, yeah, That was his
1: defense. Right. It's not so much that you lie, it's whether the lie works or not, whether the lie gets sold and purchased or not, right? Yeah,
3: yeah, that's it. That's it. And, uh, you know, and I think it's almost to the point where they lie – regardless of you know when the tr- when telling the truth worked better yeah. uh, they, they they just uh, that's their automatic default position and i think that may be the reason why president trump i mean trump <laughs> president biden uh, fell in, uh, is falling into the the trap that he is oh, while well, he's over there in here, of of you know going uh, bringing up these things that are totally irrelevant to anything that's yeah. going on, right. and yet he doesn't have anything else to, to bring up or to, or to offer. Did, did you ever get a chance to read that article on the Great Reset that was in Primus?
1: Yes, and okay. I have read Victor Hansen's most recent on it as well. I don't know if you've seen it. Oh, I it. have not read that. He may have come out yesterday. I think okay. it's available at Real Clear or AMG okay. or something like I'll
3: that. Okay, I'll check into that. Yeah. But the thing that strikes me about that is that one of the things that uh, he made, uh, seemed to me made clear in the article, was that uh, that they are relying heavily on creating chaos yeah. and confusion sure. and disruption sure. and you know all those kinds of things so that they can implement their tyrannical forms of control.
1: Um, yes, all of which is true. Now I want to think out loud with you about something because it's interesting after that in Primus piece Gosh, when did you alert me to it? Two weeks ago or so, maybe? A week or two. Though. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's been interesting to me that um, I had heard a little bit about it here and there. This all emanates out of the World Economic Forum, the Davos thing. Uh-huh. And I, since then, I probably get an email sent to me with an article about it at a minimum once a day. Wow. And maybe more than once a day. And I want to register something. Of a, of a of a cautionary note about it and see if I'm way off base I might be I might be uh-huh. um there's a lot of attention obviously going to it including from now uh, not only in primus but Victor Hansen and others about the 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 yeah the the political and sociological ethics social ethics that uh, that the World Economic Forum would like to foist upon the world particularly you know the big one which is us the United States if they get the United States they win right yeah Yeah. Which, by the way, is an interesting point in in and of itself, if I can just branch off from the tree for a second. You know, for as much as the Democratic Party wants to diminish the notion of American exceptionalism or American greatness, for as much as the Democratic Party believes in in cultural relativism, uh, those that want to change the world know that they really only have one target yes isn't that interesting the enemies in other words still see us as the main threat as exceptional right our enemies may yeah. even if we don't that's that's the branch i just wanted to walk off on for a moment but let me come back to the to the trunk of my point and it's this and maybe i'm wrong but rick as we tr- issue our concerns about what's coming uh, out of the world economic form um all, all of it true and to be worried about. But I don't want us to make it look like or overly sound like this is some foreign thing being imposed on us. You get this at the Smithsonian. You get it in almost every American university. You are increasingly getting it in our elementary and secondary schools. In other words, you are getting it from vast members of the congressional delegation and members of the administration who, you know, fill out the warp and woof of the administrative state or the deep state or whatever you want to call it, people that were never elected but are political appointees and Uh bureaucrats. In other words, it's here already, yeah, and I don't want us to fight some, you know, uh, some uh, oddly named or strangely named person uh, in another country that no one has ever visited when the fight is right here among us if that makes sense i want people to focus their energies on fighting it but not put it off as a foreign invasion or a foreign ethic it's an ethic that has taken root and branch here in america and i want us to know that it's here in america let me yeah. let me take a quick break and and get your thought on the way when we come back on that rick because i want us to recall Lincoln, And it's not an indie fix about this. But as Lincoln, I think, presciently warned, if destruction be our lot, it will not be invasion. It will be homegrown. It will be we who are its authors uh, and finishers. And we have been authoring and finishing the same stuff that The Great Reset has only recently been saying. And we've been doing it for 30 years here. Talk to me about that when we come back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. Rick is bringing up a great point about so much that is being changed and how we need to pay attention, obviously. Yes, we do, to the World Economic Forum's notion of the Great Reset, which a lot of our scholars are writing about. And my only point is, yes, we do, uh, but let's not think of it as some foreign thing affecting us. Uh, Nancy Pelosi was born here. Uh, She's probably been to the World Economic Forum, but Bernie Sanders hasn't, and AOC hasn't, and Rashida Tlaib haven't, and most of the administration and most of our school leaders and officials haven't, right? And the NBA hasn't, most of the leaders there. Maybe the head of Disney has been, but the employees at Disney haven't. I mean, we have the problem here is all I'm saying, and I don't want us to think like it's a foreign thing. It's been fully adopted and accepted already in the United States long before it probably even ever occurred to the World Economic Forum, because it is the World's second oldest faith, it is. It is. Anyway, Rick, your thoughts? Am I overstating? Am I over arguing the point?
3: Uh, no, I don't think so, Seth. And and I think basically I agree with you. Uh, the the concern that I have, and and I think you probably agree with this, is that uh, the problem with that uh, that Davos thing, yeah. Is that we do have a number of uh, uh, U.S. citizens yeah. and people that are involved here that are also participating in something akin to a uh, a plan for <laughs> you know for war yeah. and uh, so it, it's not it's like they are pursuing this full speed ahead. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's uh, kind of what concerns me, uh, that that we not only have what is happening internally, and that is a tremendous concern, as you point out, and I think we need to uh, keep our eye on that. But we also have this coming from without, uh, connected to, within. And so we've got this double whammy, whammy, so to speak. And uh, I think one of the things that we must do, and you're doing it, Seth, and I highly commend you for that, I want to encourage and and support you in keeping it up, is point out the lies, the lies, the lies, the lies are unbelievable that are coming from the left. I mean, I just, it's astounding uh, how easily and how often and how much they lie about everything
1: yeah you betcha and and it gets accepted here what is the cost of lies the scientist opens up with in chernobyl right it's not that we'll mistake them for the truth the real danger is that if we hear enough we'll no longer recognize the truth at all what portion of this country do you think joe biden do you think joe biden what joe biden said yesterday about january 6th or charlottesville what portion of this country believes you think believes what he said was true I think probably more than 60%. I think a majority think Joe Biden was telling the truth, or at least not lying. I mean, it's worked for Joe so far. He hasn't stopped, the media's on his side.
0: I'm Seth Liebsten. We'll be right back.